Um, I was at um, Shop Talk in Las Vegas at the end of March, and it was it, it, it was it made me laugh. Everybody uh, said how good it was to be back in real life, and yet at the same time, all we seemed to be discussing was the metaverse. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today is all about retail. He's one of the most high-profile figures in the sector and is recognized as a top global retail analyst and influencer, including by Rethink Retail and the Retail Technology Innovation Hub. He is a best-selling author and is currently the global retail lead for a technology organization. This is the new series on Heads Talk, the retail series, where we talk to heads, gurus, and executive leaders in this space about, among other things, how the sector is morphing today. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. My name's Chrissy. I'm co-founder and chief mixologist at Bird & Blend Tico. I know Elaine loves our tea and makes weekly recommendations to you so you can enjoy whilst listening to this fabulous podcast. We're an eco-conscious, independent, people-focused and award-winning tea mixology company on a mission to spread happiness and reimagine tea. We now have 14 stores across the UK and over 100 blends to choose from, so there's something for everyone. From our traditional Great British Cuppa and Builder's Breakfast Brew to fun flavours like chocolate digestives, rhubarb and custard and strawberry lemonade, you'll be sure to discover the perfect cuppa for you. Check us out online. You can take our tea matching quiz. It's www.burnandblendtea.com and it'll find the right tea for you. Or please do pop into one of our stores and meet some of the team and they will help you out. Thanks for your time and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Andrew Busby is the global retail industry leader for Software AG, as well as the founder of Retail Reflections the retail writing, keynote speaking and analysis organization with the main focus on consumer behavior, customer experience and the future of the high street. In a retail career spanning over 20 years, Andrew held leading positions at Kingfisher and Superdrug. He is constantly in demand for both writing and speaking and is often quoted in the media, appearing on TV, radio and the national press. Andrew is a former contributor to Forbes, the number one best-selling Amazon author with his book, How He Was Right All Along, and is the editor-at-large for Retail Technology Magazine. A member of a number of boards in the retail space, I'm delighted to have him on the show for the series. Let's begin. Welcome, Andrew. Many thanks for being with us today. Thanks very much, Elaine. Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, always love to uh, talk about uh, retail. It's, yes. uh, it's my passion. I gather that. I gather that in my research, and we will get into greater detail about that. Okay, th- this is going to be an interesting episode. Um, with our preliminary back and forth, I suspect you will sort of, you know, provide my listeners with sort of fascinating insights into this sector. Let's begin with this straightforward question. Is this the best time ever to be a customer? Well, that, yeah, that's a really... Uh interesting question or, or uh, if I was uh, 
uh, in the government, I'd say that's a great question, meaning that I don't really know the answer to it. But um, uh, fortunately, I think I do. And the answer is yes and no. So the reason why I say that is um, the yes is because we've got, you know, the, the, the kind of, uh, with the, the global financial crisis in 2008, the kind of balance of power shifted, if you like, from the the retailer to the consumer. Uh, and what's happening in the world now, uh, which we, 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 might, uh, we might discuss, is that that is only uh, getting more and more acute, if you like. So I've just come back from um, speaking at a retail conference in uh, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. and I was talking about this, uh, and, and I, I like to think of it as uh, Shopper Mark II. So Shopper Mark One emerged from that uh, global financial crisis, and um, that 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 really was the birth of the savvy, the clever, the smart consumer. We really, because we were under pressure, you know, all our household mm -hmm. budgets were, were mm -hmm. under pressure. Now what's happening? We're just emerging from the pandemic, and uh, we get hit by uh, energy prices rising, cost of living rising, costs. You know, it, it's. Um, it's, I, I don't like to use the word, but I will. It is unprecedented because it hasn't happened in most of our lifetimes. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, this is, um, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, we've never seen all these things coming together. So that's given birth to Shopper Mark II. And Shopper Mark II builds on their predecessor because they are ruthless. Um, loyalty is out the window, uh, apart from perhaps if you're an Apple customer, because if you're an Apple customer, you could walk into one of their stores and they'd punch you in the face at the door and you'd still love the products. Uh, you know, nothing's, nothing's going uh, nothing's to dissuade you from the fact that... Um, uh, that is so, 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 you know, hats off to Apple because they've done a, a fantastic um, marketing job there. And, and this is, as you would probably guess, coming from an Android user, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, uh, their products are, are great as well. But, so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the yes. You know, this is why it's such a great time. But the reason why I said yes and no is because no, because some of the factors that I've already mentioned, you know, um, household budgets, uh, you know, so again, talking about uh, the last couple of days in, in Amsterdam, I got uh, the opportunity to talk uh, to people from uh, from Holland, from Germany, from Switzerland, and, and um, in, in my global role uh, with, with Software AG, I, I get to talk to people around the world. And, and this is this cost of living crisis, uh, we're all being affected by it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really is, for, for, probably for a lot of uh, people listening, you know, they might be in a fortunate position that it's, yes, they're being affected, but they, they'll be able to manage their way through it. Now, there's an awful lot of millions and millions of households that are really, really going to be struggling. Um, so, you know, that's why I say it's, it's, you know, it's not such a good time because... You know, spending is going to be cut. Uh, I mean, another example of that, I saw something uh, just earlier today. So uh, an organization in the, here in the UK called GFK, who have been measuring uh, on, I believe, a monthly basis. Um, they, they have a consumer confidence index, and they've been doing that since 1974. And they've just published it for uh, April, I think it was, and it's at minus 40 now, the significance of that is that that is the lowest it's ever mm -hmm. been 
since they started uh, measuring it. So that's lower than when we were going through Brexit, lower than when we were uh, going through the global financial crisis. So this really is, you know, you could kind of say the best and the worst of times, but probably more the, uh, the latter. Hmm. You, you talked about um, the customer behavior of the period. Um, you say that loyalty was out the window. In fact, if your customers are a little bit ruthless, how else do you think they've changed over, say, maybe the, maybe the last five years? Uh, I think, yeah, I'll probably build on that, you know, the, the, the kind of smarter um, shopper. Um, you know, we've all had um, smartphones, but but relatively speaking, not for that long. I mean, the first, um, if we go back to Apple, the first iPhone was uh, launched in January 2007. So that's not a, you know, huge, and it, it took a while for us to actually, for that to roll out to the, you know, the general population. I don't have the figures of uh, penetration of uh, smartphones um, off the top of my head, but but uh, certainly from when I last looked, it, it was you know, something like 80, 85%. Uh, so, you know, the, the vast, vast majority of us got that. And of course, what that does is it, it puts in our pockets that um, that power to, to do, uh, you know, our, our research. I mean, we, we all know that the, one of the, the biggest frustrations is that we'll often go into a store and, you know, typically it might be an electrical, and we know more than the member of staff that we're talking to because we've done all our research and, and we can do it on our phones when we're in the store mm-hmm. um and you know and, and we all know well, it's that, pretty much more knowledgeable you would say because oh absolutely uh, yeah because of the information at our you know at our at our door at our foot we were pretty much knowledgeable let's move on um to the next question um uh, it was a common theme when i did my um hospitality series on heads talk last year um, it's about the move from customization to the now personalization of service. Um, how big a difference um, will this make the customer experience? And, and, and with a business head on, if you can, um, the bottom line, what is the difference in terms of the bottom line for, for retail organizations? Well, I'll be honest uh, with you, Elaine, I'm still waiting for uh, great personalization to arrive. Um, <laughs> I think that if we, if we look at personalization as it relates, as you said, to customer experience and service and so forth, if we were climbing Mount Everest, we're not even at base camp yet. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, and what I say to people, and again, I was, I was talking about this um, uh, only yesterday at, the, at this event and um, talking with a number of um, uh, retail leaders there. And, and you know, the way that I kind of think about it, um, is with personalization. So let's let's take social media, for example. Now, probably, um, you know, all the, uh, your listeners will, will, to greater or lesser extents, they, they will use social media, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok for the younger listeners or whatever it happens to be. But they're probably going to be using it. You know, I certainly um, uh, use Twitter and LinkedIn um, yeah, for, for business, but also for, for more personal as, as well. And I've always felt that if somebody could take that, let's say take the last two or three years of my my total social media output and be able to analyze and then use that insight into me intelligently, wow, what a what a personalized customer experience I I would receive. And, you know, they would they would end up knowing pretty much everything there is to know about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, 
there, there, we've still got an awful you know, long way, way to go. And, and to, your, to your point about the bottom line for, uh, for retailers is that kind of going back to that shopper mark two that I mentioned, demand and expectation, their demands and expectations are just exponentially increasing. Uh, and they're far outstripping uh, brand or retailer's ability to, uh, uh, to meet them. Um, and so we've got this kind of gap between this expectation gap, if, uh, uh, if you like. And I think that the, the challenges that we're, you know, the economic challenges that we're all facing, and by the way, we're only just at the start of that journey. Uh, it's only going to get worse. Um, you know, mm. it's, so and, and it's going to last. So it's what you're saying is that perhaps the hospitality um, sector is a little bit further on than the retail sector in terms of personalizing the service that they provide to the customers. Well, yeah, I think so. And I think this is where retail, um, it, it's not, I don't think retail is that particularly good at learning from other sectors. So as an example of that, um, stores. So we, we know that um, standard of stores generally is getting better. Uh, there's more uh, digital transformation of stores and, and so on and so forth. But what I say to people is why not, if you're um, if you th thinking about your store estate, think, look at it through the eyes of uh, a museum. Now that might sound a bit strange, but if I explain, um, if we go to a museum, think about your experience there. You're always in almost, even as adults, certainly children, but as adults, we're almost in, in wonderment about what is around the next corner. What new fantastic thing are we going to see and are, are we going to discover? Well, wouldn't it be great if um, stores, retail stores were like that? <laughs> well, yeah, I think retail... Well, I suppose it depends on what the retail are talking about. If you're talking about a grocery store, you're in there to collect your, your food goods and off. And in terms of um, wearable stuff, it's more sort of increasingly online. But we're going to move into that in terms of how we shift our, our behaviours further. Um, okay, let's... <laughs> I'm, embra I'm bracing myself for this next one, um, for your answer to this next question. As um, you've said prior to that, and I quote, with quote, oh, there is, there is no such thing as an omni-channel. Um, others may disagree with you, and with that, I will, I will continue with the question. So this is about the move to an omni-channel operating model, the, the digital transformation journey. We know customers don't really care about the details, they're more about the service, but how big of a technical headache is this for retailers to move from a single to the then multi and now the omni-channel? We, we often hear about. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you, you're right to brace yourself, Elaine. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and kind of what I say, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, but I've been make a point that and yeah it's, it's, yeah there's yeah there's no such thing as the, the omni channel I mean basically retail as as, um, as an industry uh, has coined that and and um, uh, I know the person who um, I know of the person who first coined it, it was somebody called Daryl Rigby uh, who coined it in uh, 2011 as part of a Harvard Business Review uh, paper and and I contacted him and, and just to to ask him and he he said that he was really just trying to um, 
trying to find a way to describe what back then, you know, sort of going back, what, 11 years, um, was the, the, the sort of merging, if you like, the beginning of that, that feeling of the, the, the physical and, and, uh, and, and digital. And obviously, as we know, omni means all, it's all surrounding. So, but, you know, the point that I make uh, without uh, wishing to be too facetious about it, is that you know you never you, you you'll hear someone uh, say, "Look, I'm just popping out to do some shopping." You never ever hear anyone say, "I'm just popping out to do some omni-channel." Um, so, in other words, the point being that okay, well, the other thing about it, uh, of course, is that you know if you if you ask um, 100 people in retail, what, what exactly does omni-channel mean to you? You'd probably get 100 different answers. So that's why I kind of, and I think we need to, we, we probably need to say it's, 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 it's had its time, um, if you like. But it's an interesting one, going back to your point about moving from a single to, to multi. And uh, again, because it, it's fresh in my mind from the last couple of days, I spent quite a bit of time talking to the um, uh, European MD of uh, Levi's, Levi Jeans. And um, she said that, you know, what brands and retailers have got to do is to speak with one voice. So, yes, they think, and, and, you know, there are channels, but customers, as customers, we don't, we don't pick up our smartphone or open our laptop or walk into a store and think consciously, I'm now shopping through my smartphone. I'm now shopping using my laptop. I'm now shopping, you know, physically walking into a, well, because a store. They because they don't think it doesn't mean it doesn't exist it's just there and, and people are using it and, and one needs a terminology to describe all the different outlets that people use to purchase a product sure. so yeah and and what, what i was just going to add to, to that was that um for brands and retailers wherever their customer is they need to engage and speak with one voice so to your point about the challenges from moving from single to multi uh, to Omni is, is just that uh, because the customer expects, this goes back to the point about ex demands and expectations, the customer expects that that will be consistent wherever they're touching your brand and however they're touching your brand. And joining those dots up um, is not the work of a moment. You know, it's hard stuff to be able to, uh, to link all of those. Uh, when I, um, you know, used to uh, uh, run um, IT operations at, at uh, part of um, Kingfisher, we always used to talk about then, and I'm going back now, um, you know, sort of 18 years or so, um, we always used to talk about having one version of the truth, which meant that we could see, you know, one version of, of you know, the customer, uh, and, and ideally to be able to um, sync that, align that, overlay that whatever you wish to, to describe it with with for example inventory and 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 to and to connect all of these but of course one of the problems with the majority of retail organizations is that they're siloed um and that creates a really really big challenge you know it's a typical retail um not the younger startups and, and pure plays necessarily but but you're you know you're more if we say traditional retailers it's a command and control from the center siloed organization. Now, more and more retail leaders are coming out and they're saying, well, no, you know, we, we need to break down those barriers if we are to engage with our customer in a consistent manner. 
Okay, okay. Um, uh, let's move on. Um, you are on the circuit. In fact, you, as you just mentioned, you've just come back from Amsterdam uh, on a speaking engagement. You're on various media channels, events, conferences, and I'm sure security and customer data in retail is one of the biggest, if not the big conversations that you have. So, so let's talk about security for a bit. Um, where do you stand on the personal data of the customers, ownership, and the, the responsibility of retail organizations with, with how they manage and use that data? Yes, it, I mean, it, it is an extremely important um, topic. And, and the way that I view it is that uh, any organization, any consumer organization, but we're, we're talking about retail here, um, Yes, obviously they need to manage it with a, a great degree of uh, responsibility, but but more than that, I think, and this kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying earlier about social media and personalization. There's almost like this unwritten contract between the, the customer and, and the retailer that from the customer's point of view, I think most people would, not all, but, but most, if they could see some tangible benefit and value add coming back in return for sharing more of their personal data than they would do. Um, but yeah, you mentioned I was on the, the circuit and, and I uh, was, uh, I interviewed at a conference in um, London just a few weeks uh, ago. Um, uh, Tiny Temper, the, the rapper, and you'd wonder, well, what on earth has he got to do with retail? But he's an investor in a company uh, called Generate, which um, is founded by Sam Jones, who is credited with the uh, uh, the best Dragon's Den pitch ever. Now, very briefly on this, and this, I think, talks exactly to this point about data. Um, we're, we're all familiar with cookies, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder how many people realize that when you click accept, because most websites will say, click on accept, uh, to enhance your experience of the site. That's what an awful lot say. Well, actually, they're not cookies at all. They're trackers. And you click on accept, and what happens is that all your data, your, your browsing data, and that's your personal data, uh, gets um, uh, tracked and recorded by, on some sites, I won't name them here, but, you know, if you just... News sites would be a good starting point for this. Um, it's sometimes over a thousand third party agencies who then sell your data. Uh, they sell it on. So what Sam has done is has created something which stops all that and allows the, uh, the customer, uh, in this case, the person who's browsing, it allows them to monetize that. And they might choose to send that to charity as opposed to some third party agency getting hold of it and then selling it on. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, they don't tell you this. So if there's what out of this episode, if there's one thing that I would say to listeners, never, ever, ever click on accept cookies ever again, uh, because now you know why. Mm -hmm. So that's you know, kind of insight into... Um, personal data and how it gets used. But how in the retail industry, retail organizations, how are they um, particularly ensuring and protecting customers' data when they have that? 
Well, of course, sadly, we, you know, it always um, hits the news. Uh, and this is a, um, uh, yeah, because retail is so relevant to all of us, because we all shop, it seems that retail news will always hit the, the headlines. And so we, uh, you know, we see from time to time uh, occasions where they don't protect um, our, our data and hackers get, um, get mm -hmm. hold of it and get hold of our personal, including all our, you know, our credit card um, uh, information. Um, now, you know, I'd say I'm not a security expert, but, um, uh, you know, generally the retailers do a very good job of protecting uh, our, our data. And I certainly don't have any problems um, in terms of, you know, as I think most of us now have got, it wasn't like that 10 years ago, but uh, most of us now have got used to the fact that, you know, if we're purchasing online, then we're going to share our, our credit card um, information. So, um, yeah, generally, uh, retailers do a very good job of that. Mm. So they, they know they've got to be extra vigilant because that's what we do. We share our, our credit card details, we share our numbers, we share all our stuff with them. So, okay. Um, right. Yes, we've got to talk about this um, next one. Um, you've, you've mentioned it, some of it earlier, um, because it's, you know, it's impacting the industry at such a level that, that even the... The governor of the Bank of England mentioned an, an apocalyptic global food shortage recently, um, which hit the headlines and all of the newspapers in the UK. In fact, the UK alone, inflation is at 9%, which is a 40-year high. All of this is quite concerning. So, so tell me, is this all down to the current conflict in the Ukraine? And if not, how is the war affecting the retail industry in particular? Mm. Yeah, the inflation. Yeah, we're we're leading the way there, aren't we? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're beating Germany, France, Spain. You you name it. They're, they're trying yeah. to catch up, but we're 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 out in the lead on the, on that one. Um, the football team. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and what's primarily driving it is um, fuel and energy uh, prices. Um, now, so so for example, um, France. Uh, I read this uh, just the other day. Um, France, I think, is uh, currently running about at uh, 4.8, and one of the primary reasons for that is that they're far more self-sufficient in terms of uh, energy because they have more nuclear um, uh, power plants. Um, uh, we're not not uh, necessarily in the same uh, situation. Uh, neither is is Germany. So it's. Um, you know, what led the way with uh, uh, inflationary pressures as we started to um, ease our way towards the back end of last year out of the pandemic was um, rising energy costs. And um, here in the UK, there'll be another um, uh, review in October, which we know will only um, you know, a review of the price cap uh, on what uh, the energy well, what, companies can charge. What about raw materials? Is, is there a big impact for the UK on that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And all, all over the, the world, um, raw materials, you know, um, steel, aluminium, whatever. I mean, the, um, uh, the building more trade. From, more from the, the Ukraine itself. From Ukraine itself, then absolutely. Again, there it happens to be food. Um, as we know, Ukraine... Uh, produces an awful lot of um, grain and wheat and uh, sunflower oil. Mm -hmm. um, I think I read that it was something like 30% in terms of the grain mm -hmm. and, and, and wheat. And of course, the point there is that they've got, because uh, particularly Odessa uh, in the south, you know, the, the Black Sea uh, port mm -hmm. is blockaded, there are literally 
millions of tons uh, of grain and wheat have sat there. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, um, how is it? How is this? Yeah, the, the point of this is it, the UK. How is it affecting the UK? Because I mean, I, I read somewhere about in terms of yeah, breweries yeah. and pubs, that sort of the stories. What are the stories you're hearing when you're uh, uh, attending these retail conferences and, and having these conversations? What are the things that you're hearing that's a direct impact because of the Ukrainian conflict? Well, absolutely. And so talking about um, and, uh, one of these in London, I, I, I uh, spoke with uh, Mike Coop, who was, uh, people probably know, is the former CEO of Sainsbury's, now chairman of ULOOK. And he was telling me, apart from the fact that everything is so uncertain, yeah, the, the grocers uh, are facing uh, rising costs. And, and of course, they realise, and this is um, an awful lot of it because of the, uh, the war in Ukraine, and of course, they realise that they can't necessarily pass all of that on to their customers. Um, and this is where it's so uncertain, because we don't really know yet whether those customers are going to move to the discounters or whether they're simply going to buy less. I mean, I uh, saw, I'm not sure it was a YouGov, um, but something last week that said that, uh, again, here in the UK, something like a million households uh, in the last month, uh, somebody in that household went without eating for a day simply because they couldn't, at least a day, simply mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford to. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing that we're seeing is the, the shortage of sunflower oil. Well, um, now the regulatory authorities have said, yes, you can use substitutes and substitute is things like soya, rapeseed oh. and so mm -hmm. forth. Well, uh, what that's doing is pushing up the price. Um, you know, it's good old fashioned supply and demand. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's pushing up the price of substitutes. So that inevitably finds its way into the uh, uh, the food supply. Mm -hmm. So there's not only a shortage, well, there's a shortage, and then that's driving uh, increased uh, uh, prices. And, and the other thing to say is that uh, going back to Ukraine's uh, uh, supply of, of, uh, of uh, foodstuffs is that we're currently consuming last year's crop. So um, we don't know uh, with any degree of certainty how successful they've been at um, sowing this year's crop for uh, consumption next year. So, you know, the uncertainty and, and is likely to go on well into next year. But surely with, with this uncertainty, are you finding that the UK are being innovative in how they will source? Because, you know, no longer in Brexit. So there's, there's an element mm. of um, freedom in terms mm. of what we can do that perhaps um, didn't have prior. Are you seeing any of that? I think that's just starting to to happen out of necessity, but the the initial, uh, but but again, it's I mean, we haven't seen any. Um, thank goodness we haven't seen any uh, panic buying from mm -hmm. uh, from shoppers. Uh, but you know, I I saw something the the other day. Um, uh, Iceland, uh, Iceland food. Uh, are, I think on a Tuesday they're. They're giving 10% uh, discount uh, to the over 60s. Well, Tuesday is usually a bit of a slow day anyway, so it probably won't hurt them too much. But, you know, that, now that's not technical innovation, mm -hmm. but it's, to me, it still counts as, as, uh, as innovation. So, in other words, it's just an indicator that uh, grocers, you know, that they realize very, very much that they're going to have to drive operational efficiency, not just through their own organizations but th right through their entire supply chain now that was kind of a business as usual function long before any of this now 
it's become a business imperative. So um, process uh, management and uh, efficiency, I think, is going to become more and more important. Um, you know, because you know, let, let's be honest. Um, your typical uh, grocer, any retailer, you know, their, their cost base is going to be um, pretty much um, optimized. And usually, if a, if a retailer wants to reduce their costs, they simply um, sack a, a bunch of people. Um, that that you know, um, that's how it works, sadly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. But they've probably done all that. Uh, so you know, what else do? Well, need to make the organisation as as lean and um, as efficient as, as possible. Mm -hmm. But the challenge there is without impacting customer service and customer experience. Yeah, yeah, I think that's with all organizations generally. It's not, um, I don't think retail has a monopoly on making an organization leaner and uh, in crisis no, time, or just more mm. sort of retail specific innovations I was looking for. Let, let's move on, because I'm conscious of the time. Um, as part of my research prior to our conversation today, I either read a comment that you made or I saw a video clip, I'm not sure which one it was, with you talking about this. It's a comment that um, that goes against a lot of what I am hearing and reading in this space. I think there's a theme here, you're, you're, you're sort of maybe naturally controversial to what is the flow. Uh, so I'm <laughs> eagerly awaiting your answer to this one. Um, why do you think um, retail of the future will not be in the metaverse when all research pundits and experts say otherwise? Yeah, so, um... You say all the yeah, pundits and, and experts. What I think the metaverse has, has done, again, if a bit like Omnichannel, if we were to ask 100 of those pundits and experts, well, what, what's the metaverse? What, what do you, you know, mean by the metaverse? You'd get 100 different answers. And let's be honest, it's still in development. Um, it has no standards. So, but what it's done is it's given people uh, something to talk about at retail conferences. Um, I was at um, Shop Talk in Las Vegas at the end of March, and it was it, it, it was it made me laugh. Everybody uh, said how good it was to be back in real life, and yet at the same time, all we seemed to be discussing was the metaverse. So you know, go go figure that one out. Um, but yeah, well, the metaverse. If, if, if you're a gamer, follow the money. Follow them. Well, no, I don't think it is. I, I think what it is, uh, is that uh, it's a new shiny trinket. You know, remember, cast your mind back whenever, maybe five, six years, maybe a bit more, uh, artificial intelligence was and, and see, you know, how, how that's developed and still, uh, it's still learning and all you know still needs to learn um, an awful lot. You know, think of the algorithms, think of, uh, you know, the, the, um, so-called personalization i won't name them but it's a rather large online marketplace uh, that's rather successful but uh you purchase something uh, let's say you purchase a new uh, a trampoline or a barbecue and odds on are that you're going to receive an email a few days later asking if you want to buy another one now you know what's going on there so i think that but but having said that um yeah i what i uh, say to to retailers is uh, you've got bigger priorities at the moment, um, but keep keep it in okay. mind. Keep, okay. keep so looking. Let, let, me let me understand this. You, you're, you're in disagreement about the metaverse and its growth because people say it's nice to be back 
in the real life together as a conference. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, that was just an example of a kind of contradiction, you know, that, um, uh, but, but the other thing that I'd say is, yeah, a, a very large um, American um, uh, retailer, uh, one of the largest there, have, has a large store estate. I saw an example of their uh, metaverse uh, not so long ago. And what they had done is they'd recreated one of their stores. And you mm -hmm. saw this video and it showed somebody uh, picking up uh, a bottle of wine, taking it off, off the shelf and putting mm -hmm. it in their basket. And I uh, commented on uh, on, the, on this and said, well, hold on a second. If I'm in the metaverse, I, would, I can go anywhere. I expect to be able to go anywhere. And so I'd expect, if it's a bottle of wine, I'd expect to be transported to the vineyard where that grape was grown and possibly be able to interact with a sommelier and interact with the grower and all this sort of thing. So my point being that, um, yes, um, the metaverse should not be dismissed. Um, and it's very interesting, actually, that you've got, it you've seems got what I've You've got to remember, it's still in its young, early, embryonic stage. It's like saying we've just invented the bicycle and you expect a flying car. Give it a, give it a chance to, to well, transport you into the vineyards. I, but that's my point. That's my, my point. Yes, it's, it really is in its embryonic stage. But those so-called pundits and experts you refer to have all leapt on it because it's something you know, you know, new and shiny to talk about. And it's kind of like, well, let's just let things bed down a little bit and, mm. and get to some degree it, of maturity. Doesn't it depend on where you are? Because in Asia, in particular in China, they're a little bit more ahead in terms of developing this and using it. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of giving me the, the, the idea of, and I don't even know why and where I'm going with this. It's, it's with gaming and gamification within that metaverse space. Um, corporations and retails have been told and been advised that now this is this is going to be the new marketing the new advertising strategy going forward you need to be in this space in order to sell your products in order for you and your consumers to co-create and all of that's happening in that metaverse space so for you to sort of be dismissive of it I, I, i'm still waiting for the the, the the nugget of an answer that makes you think hmm, maybe you have a pointy andrew well, certainly if you talk about the Asian market and the Chinese market, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, one thing that is happening is that uh, retailers are looking at, um, uh, as well as you know, almost becoming more media uh, organizations, that they're looking at um, different channels. So, uh, yes, you're right with the metaverse there, but also uh, one thing which is huge uh, is um, live streaming in China. And one of the things that came out of the uh, Shop Talk conference in, in Vegas was that well, yes, it's huge. It's, it's, I think it's predicted this year to, to hit a trillion dollar market, just live streaming across China alone. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the point uh, one of the speakers there made was that, well, yeah, but does it fit uh, the US culture um, to do that? Um, you know, the other thing that I'd say about, about the metaverse is that, again, going back to the definition of it, I mean, I see too many examples where actually it's virtual reality. Um, and, you know, there are, like anything, there are, um, uh, there are advocates and, uh, and, and mm -hmm. so forth, and there will always be laggards and, and, and what have you. Um, but all, all I can, you know, say to, to what you said in terms of, you know, wanting a, a, a nugget is, look, you know, let, let's suppose that um, 
you know, you, you, you want to talk to uh, whichever retailer, you know, you want to and, uh, and, and say, right, so I want to talk to you about the metaverse and so forth. Just at this moment in time, as I said earlier, they've got far, far, far bigger priorities uh, to uh, uh, to grapple with. So, you know, let's, but the point I was going to make uh, a little bit earlier was that it's interesting that it's more the luxury brands which are playing yes. in the metaverse. Now, that I think is an interesting trend. So, for example, Estee Lauder are very, very much uh, playing in that market. We know that Selfridges, the department store in London, has, has, has been doing that. Um, but Gucci's these are kind of... But also Nike. Nike wouldn't you wouldn't yep. call a luxury brand, but they are also in there and they have co-created with the customers. There's been sort of this online thing where the customers have co-created prior to creating the actual product itself. And, and that also hits touch upon the sustainability agenda in the sense that something is created in a virtual sense prior to producing a lot of stuff that's not going to be sold, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm conscious of the time. Um, I want to get to sort of the last question on this episode of Heads Talk. And it's a question that's asked to, to all of the guests um, in this series. So I'll ask this, what is the solution that you think has yet to be developed but sits firmly within the retail world once available? Well, I think, yeah, it's a great question. And, and um, I would, go back to uh, what I was talking about, about um, personalization. And, and some people refer to, you know, a hyper, we're not there yet at all, hyper personalization. And, and what I think, the, the direction of travel that I think that uh, retail is going to take, it, it, it's going to move out of this still, you know, embryonic phase of, of uh, so-called personalization. Um, and the trick there is obviously to do, to, to do it on a one-to-one -one basis, but at scale. You know, that, that's, that's a challenge as we know. But I, I hope and I think that that, again, going back to the security question, provided that we're willing to give up more of our personal data, that that will move to uh, predictive retail. Now, you could kind of say, well, with things like the Amazon Go button from you know, a few years back, that was starting to happen, but we're not really um, seeing that yet. But, you know, I would love, you know, I, I think there's a real opportunity here which isn't a solution as such, but, but anyway, I'll explore it. I think retail as an industry um, has got a huge opportunity to expand more into our lives, into society. Um, and it's gonna to need to do so because you mentioned Nike there. And of course we got uh, in, in that space, Puma, Adidas, you know, the, 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 the leisure wear and the sports brands are very good at the direct to consumer uh, model and very good at you know, um, uh, individualization and experimentation. And you're right about Nike, you know, using the, the metaverse. And I'd, I'd expect that. So I I think that um, retail uh, has got, you know, th this huge opportunity. But in terms of a solution, then I would say that it, it's um, I'm waiting for predictive retailing. To uh, right. uh, to uh, to it's hit that. It's getting to the teens because it's still pretty much in the embryonic stage. Okay, Andrew Busby, many thanks for your time and insights. My pleasure, Elaine. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.